Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. We all awake? One person. (laughs) No, I hear you. I hear you. Um, So I probably owe you an explanation. Why am I limping around uh, more than usual? Um, Why do I have a chair here? Oh, it's so embarrassing. Um, So I have gout. I have gout in my right foot, and if you've ever had it, it's, yeah, you know it's pretty bad. It doesn't feel good. So if I sit down at some point and continue to preach, it's, it's no disrespect to you. It's just like if I start like getting blinded by pain, I just, I'd rather sit down and preach. Um, so yeah, <laughs> don't get gout. That's, that's point number one. Don't do that. Um, so th- today, we're going to take a one-week break from John, um, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 6. So I know we have, you probably have your bookmarks in John right now. So go ahead and and head over to to Romans chapter 6. And and the reason for this is because we've been been looking at baptism, right? All throughout John, we've been looking at baptism. Last week, we had this competition between all these people who were baptizing people. Um, Even as we continue in John next week, it starts off with still talking about baptism. But I thought, you know, why not? Let's stop and actually, let's talk about baptism, and so, um, very much biased in this, and my desire starting this is that if you haven't been baptized before, that you would get baptized. And so, I'm absolutely talking to you. I don't have records that show who has and hasn't been baptized. I don't know. You have to let me know. Um, but hopefully after this, you're going to be really, really excited about this idea of baptism. <clears throat> and so, let me start off by asking, does anybody remember their first day or week of college? No? Maybe a little bit? Yeah, um, for me, um, it was only 10 years ago. So I started college as an adult, so way late start to college. That's probably why I remember it more, right? And so I went to Red Rocks Community College in Colorado, um, and I stuck out. I stuck out because I looked the age of a dad, (laughs) right? I mean, a cool dad, sure you know, but I still stuck out, and so I needed to get something to prove that I should be on campus, right? I can't just, you can't just have this older guy creeping around campus, and so I had to get an identification card, you know, and with the purpose of that being, once I get that card, two things. One, I could prove that, yeah, I should be here, and secondly, to get into the rec center, right, and so, which I never did, Um, but I thought that was all the ID card was for until I turned it over, and we won't talk about how bad the picture was. Thankfully, we couldn't find it. Um, <laughs> but um, I turned over the card, and it said, for all the benefits of this card, go online to, to some website. And so I was like, really? Benefits? Like, besides being identified? Like, okay. And so I went online, and oh my gosh, so many crazy benefits just for being a college student. I mean, discounts, like deep discounts on on cell phones, right, and clothes, um, gym memberships, movies, even cars. All this stuff by having this little plastic ID, you know, and I didn't realize it when I got it, just how much was actually available 
in having this ID. And so I share that story with you because I find it's, it's quite similar to the way we understand baptism in the church. Like, like what is baptism? Like, what, what's, what's actually happening with baptism? Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, right? The whole entire earth. Make disciples and baptize them. So what is baptism? So I, I, I love the definition of the, of the Southern Baptist Convention, and they have Baptists in the name, so they should get this right. And they say, it is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior, the believer's death to sin, and the burial of the old life and the resurrection to walk in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. So this, this idea that you are buried, right, and you come back to life with Christ, go into the grave and you emerge victorious like a movie scene, right, popping out of the water, absolutely born again. When you get baptized, you're declaring your faith publicly to everybody. Like, I am willing to, you know, to get wet in front of everybody. I'm willing to slip. I'm willing to get water up my nose. Like, I am, I am all in about this. I'm going I'm to do this publicly. And when we do that, um, two benefits is one, we get, we get brought into the invisible universal church, right? The cosmic church. And then, of course, we are in the visible local church. And again, I've had, I've had the, priv the privilege of being around a lot of baptisms, and they are so exciting. They are wonderful. It, one of the most important things that you can do in your life. And yes, like I said, sometimes they're awkward. Like, there's always at least one moment, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's just really funny, but that's part of the experience that we, that we need to embrace. Often awkward, but always awesome. Now, nearly every time I'm present at a baptism, I've heard the words, well, baptism, it, it's, a, it's an outward sign of an inward change. Have you guys heard that? Outward sign of an inward change. And yes, yes, that is true, right? That, that is true. I'm not going to argue against that. But I, I think that there's so much more that takes place. I know there's so much more that takes place at baptism that I want to explore today because it's so much more than, than an inward change. And so just like my college ID had all these benefits that I didn't know about, you know, that it was giving me, I want us today to really discover, you know, when we get baptized, what does that point to? Like, what are the benefits of getting baptized? What is it actually showing besides an inward transformation? And so again, my hope this morning, I know some of you have reached out to me already and said that you want to get baptized. And so um, so those of you, again, who haven't been, let's, there's other people who already want to do it, so this is something that we need to do. And so our, our sermon this morning is called, The Benefits of Being Baptized into Christ. Let me pray for us. Awesome, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, this family, for Vanguard Bible Church, Lord. We love you, adore you, Lord. I ask that you would be worshipped by our words um, by our hearts, by our singing, by the preaching of your word, Lord. And we thank you for the new life that we can have in you, Lord, that, that baptism represents and, and quite frankly, that, that you command in your word. And so I just ask that you, would, that you would show us, Lord, everything that takes place and baptism points to, and that you'd also, if we haven't been baptized, um, convict some people and that, that this is something that needs to be done so we could celebrate with them, Lord. And we just... Lift us all up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Everybody in Romans chapter 6? 
Perfect. So Romans chapter 6, um, if you've talked to me at all before, it's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. So let's see here. Book of Romans, letter written by, by Paul to the churches in Rome, not just one church, but all the churches in Rome. He's trying to get support from them. Um, just gives them a lot of theology. Just, it's just the most beautiful, the book of Romans, theological, practical, theological book, right? And so in the spirit of things being very practical, he's writing to Rome because guess what? The Christians of Rome have this problem that every Christian has had. How do you stop sinning after becoming a Christian? Right? The problem. Okay, we are Christians now. Why do we continue to sin then? And so Rome, I mean, they, they found the loophole. The Roman church, they found the loophole. The loophole. They figured out the game. And is, if, if your sins are forgiven in Christ, and they are, and, and Christ's blood covers future sins, which it does, then why not just keep sinning? It, it's a perfectly valid argument, right? They, they found the loophole. Good for them, right? And so in Romans chapter 6, this is the beginning of, of Paul's response. So what Paul but what Paul says to them about this idea. And so in verse 1 it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace abound? By no means. That's a terrible idea. Like, what are you guys even thinking about right now? That, that makes no sense. And then Paul goes on in verse 2, How can we who died to sin still live in it? Church, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We died to it. Then Paul goes on to explain how and why Christians can fight sin in their life. And he does this in a very unexpected way. Every time I read through Romans, it kind of comes out of left field for me. Out of all the things he could have argued about, any argument he could have made to stop sinning, he appeals to baptism. Like he pulls out the baptism card. How could you keep sinning? You were baptized. It's like, what? Really? That baptism? Was that, was that important? And so what we see here in verse 3, it's so amazing, is it really does have to change the way we think about life and death itself. And of course, baptism, as that's what we're talking about. And it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Did Paul really just say that? When we got baptized, we were baptized into his death? And you know, Paul bless his heart, I just, whenever he writes, whenever he, he, he gives you some information that might be difficult to hear or understand, it's like he knows that already. So he always comes right back, right? And double taps, right? He's like, no, yes, this, let me continue to explain this thing that you're obviously confused about. So he goes on right after saying that we're baptized into his death. He says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in the newness of life. And so what we see right off the bat is, is that baptism is not just, you know, doesn't just point towards an inward transformation. Like, this is a symbol of a literal cosmic funeral. I mean, this is, this is on a giant scale. We've been buried with Christ and we reemerge with Christ into a real new life. And I'm using the term cosmic here, um, as Paul often does, just to kind of explain the fact this takes place in a plane of reality that doesn't make sense to us. We think linear, right? We, we think senses. 
And that is not what's going on here. This has to be done by God because it transcends our understanding of the laws of the universe and how we understand life and death. So it's really cosmic, man. This is really insanely cosmic. And so theologian Karl Barth summarized this truth like this. Christian baptism is in essence the representation of a man's renewal through his participation by means of the power of the Holy Spirit in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there, with the representation of man's association with Christ, with the covenant of grace which is concluded and realized in him, the fellowship of his church. And so baptism, it's huge, right? There's so much going on here. Like everything about our faith is represented in baptism. Baptism is commanded, right? And so for me, when I was baptized, it it was as simple as, I I don't know if it was that morning or maybe a couple days before, the pastor asking me, has anybody been baptized? It's like, well, I haven't been baptized. It says, all right, well, you're getting baptized Sunday. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I, I knew it was commanded to be baptized, and I know I'm being faithful and obedient to that, but we didn't have anybody explain, like, what is taking place in this And it was such a great experience for me, but I didn't really realize all the power and the beauty and freedom that that baptism represented. And so this morning, we're going to look at four benefits of being baptized into Christ. So the first benefit of being baptized into Christ is that we have a new identity. Identity. I just made up a word. So I just made up a word very intentionally. Because as it says, we were baptized into Christ, right? We were baptized into his death. And not like my college ID, which had, you know, I can go a couple of places for a certain amount of time. Like this baptism, it changes everything. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it's a legitimate status change. Your identification has cosmically changed, which means from the view of God, when God looks at you, you have a different ID now that never expires and nobody can ever take away. That is now your standing before Almighty God. Jesus, your Savior and your hero, and now you are one, united in union with Christ. And I love the way Paul explains it in Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Those of you who are baptized put on Christ. What does that mean? It means that you change teams. Like when you got baptized, you made a proclamation. You know, you completely changed the team that you're on. You switch jerseys. You put on Christ. You look differently, which is huge in this argument against sin. Well, if you switch teams, if you were baptized, remember you were baptized, you switch teams. Why are you still sinning if you switch teams, right? And so... Um, I think the best analogy of this, as silly as it may be, is the analogy of a gelatin fruit salad. Gelatin fruit salad. And hear me out. (laughs) I know it's silly. But imagine, imagine you're a piece of fruit. You get to choose whatever piece of fruit you're going to be, whatever your favorite fruit is. And you were baptized using, you know, hot water, gelatin. You were baptized into this, right? And so now you have changed You have become something else. Now, on the one hand, you are still that piece of fruit. We can look at you 
And we could see you. You know, if you're a strawberry, we could still see the fact that you're a strawberry. We could see you're a pineapple, a peach, and we see that. You maintain the fact that you're still a piece of fruit. But now you are part of something bigger. Now you are in Christ. And so just as if you were going to a picnic and you, and you saw this on the table, if you saw that sitting there and somebody asked you, well, what is that? You're not going to say, well, it's strawberries and peaches and pineapples. and No. No. You know, you'd say, no, that's a fruit salad or that's a gelatin fruit salad. And so when we were baptized into Christ, we, we maintain our identity. We're all still here and have our own identity. But cosmically, in God's point of view, and even in the spiritual realm, we are in Christ. We are part of something bigger. We exist, but we've been re- in Christ, right? Reformatted. We, now, we all serve together now. We've been repurposed. So we don't just believe in Christ, but we are in Christ. You guys like that analogy? Good. <laughs> All right, the second benefit of being baptized into Jesus Christ is that we died. Second benefit is that we died. Goodness gracious, that does not sound like a good benefit. We died? And yet, again, verse 4, it says, We were buried with him by baptism into death. And so that we know the death you know, and the resurrection of Christ happened about 33 A.D., Right? So 2,000 years ago, he, he, God, right, as Christ, came to earth and was born and breathed and walked and talked and taught and healed and was murdered and came back from the grave. So why is that a benefit to us? Because 2,000 years ago, you died. We died. If we look at Hebrews 9.27, it says this, And just as it, as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So we died. We died once. Our judgment was already taken at the cross. He took our judgment. And so perhaps you are saying to yourself, well, don't we still die? Don't we still die, though? And so to quote John Piper, when he was once asked if if Christians should fear death, he said this, how can an immortal fear death? As Christians, we cannot die again. All that is left for us is to be called home. We are immortals waiting to be called home. So in light of the fact that we've become immortal, and I believe that we have, why are we going on sinning? What do we have to gain by going back to sinning? We have a new identity, and we have died. Which leads to the third benefit of being baptized into Christ is that we are alive, right? We are alive. And we see this in verses 4 and 5. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we already died in Christ, and now we're made alive. And not just made alive, but we have a newness of life. Like, we didn't come back to our old life. We came back to a new life, right? So we, we came out of the water of baptism. We came out of the grave with Christ into a new life. We switched teams, right? This should look different. You see, baptism, I'll tell you now, um, you, know, you always hear me use the term, like, get out of hell free card, right? Like, you know, in Monopoly, get out of jail free card. And so asking Jesus into your heart is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. 
Um, saying a prayer isn't, and getting baptized isn't. You can get baptized and still go to hell. So by the grace of God, we are a new creation. We have a life without fear, a new life in Christ. At baptism, we formed a mysterious union with Christ that makes us alive. And as Christians, we believe Right, that we're going to be with Jesus forever in heaven. Right, we believe that. Like we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go to eternity and, and be with Christ forever. And yes, we 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 need to be resurrected like Christ. Still, we haven't experienced that Christ-like resurrection when our bodies expire, but we are already alive eternally. If we believe what Romans six says, if we believe what John Piper says, that we are now immortal then eternity has already begun for us. Like this life is house money. Everything we do, the reason we can live sacrificially for Christ, is, there's no downside to it, right? Why should we fear death? Why are we going to fear what we do with our time? We, we can make every decision based on the fact that we are already immortal and we are already eternal and that can't be taken away from us. And therefore, you know, if you've ever been to a funeral and you know they are very sad, you know, if the person who was deceased is a believer, doesn't that really change the tone of a funeral, right? Because we rejoice. In our pain, we still rejoice. Like, yeah, we're going to miss you. We're going to miss you. But we also know they're with Christ, which is awesome, right? It's like the best possible thing for somebody we love is for them to be with Christ. And I often tell my kids, you know, at some point I'm going to die. And they're going to miss me. I hope they're going to miss me. You know, but if they do, they know where to find me, right? And they know the person, right, Jesus, who can get them to me if they miss me. They can see me again if they follow Christ to me into eternity. And so why would we who have acquired eternity, like acquired eternity, why would we go back to living a life of sin? Why would we go back to a life of sin that was killing us, the, the same sin that, that Jesus was killed for. Why would we go back to that? So we have this new identity. We died and we are alive. And then the fourth benefit is that we are free. We are free. Let's continue on and read verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Man, that's exciting news. We have freedom from being enslaved to sin. Did you guys realize that? We used to be slaves to sin. As it says in Romans 5.12, <clears throat> Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so we are born into sin. Like, we're awesome at it. Like, like we, 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 that's, our, that's what we do. We are born sinners and, and, and we sin. You know, in Ephesians, Paul says that we're just fulfilling our cravings of the flesh. Like, we love sin so much, we completely ignore the fact that we're storing up wrath. Right? God is just watching us just sin, sin, sin. We're so obsessed with it, we're just storing up wrath. You know, even as we sin, we celebrate the freedom to do so. Like one, one of like, you know, especially in America, um, 
when we think about the individual, we celebrate the fact that we have freedoms, right? We have all these freedoms that can't be taken away from us. And yet, if you look, you know, in the news or whatever you're reading, when, they, when we talk about freedoms, right, the freedoms of the individual, we're usually talking about freedom to sin, right? It's usually some sin they're talking about. Well, this is my right to do this. And so it's a sin. And so we celebrate the freedom to choose, yet our only choice is to sin or to sin. And so how is that freedom, right? And yet it says here in Christ, right, when we've been born again and what our baptism points to is that we are free from that. We are free to stop and to repent. Richard Gantz, one of my favorite Christian psychologists, he says, the glory of our faith is not that we have no desire to sin, but that we do not have to act on that desire. And so why, if we've been set free from slavery to sin, would we want to continue to sin? You see, in this short passage, we see multiple benefits of being baptized into Christ. More than just an inward transformation, we're talking like historical 2,000 years ago, you know, cosmic, right? Affecting eternity. All this is taking place on the most grand, you know, God scale. All this is taking place externally as well that our baptism, that our baptism points to. And yet Paul's argument here isn't to create like this awesome, and I love this passage, it's so dark and it's about death and, you know, just cosmic elements. It's so beautiful, but his argument isn't theological. It's, or it's practical, right? His whole discussion, all, remember, all this talk about baptism is to get people to stop sinning. And so how does this all tie together and manifest itself practically as, as in regards to ceasing of sinning? And we'll see this in verses 6 through 19. How to fight sin in light of our baptism into Christ. And real quickly, we'll look at three ways to walk in the newness of life. The first way ties right into the fourth benefit, right? The fact is that you now have the freedom to choose. So choose righteously. You have the freedom to make a righteous choice now. Before we met Christ, we had no choice to sin. We were slaves to sin. It wasn't a matter of if or when, but we will sin. We were slaves to sin. And now we have the freedom not to sin. There's still a battle going on within us. And we're still going to sin. I can tell you that now we're still going to sin. Even later in chapter 7, you know, Paul talks about he does stuff he doesn't want to do. You know, and the stuff he does want to do, he doesn't do it. And that's Paul. You know, what about me? Goodness gracious. What about us? If, if Paul is saying like, man, I just, you know, I know what is to do and I don't do it, you know, what, what chance do we have? And so it's interesting. His argument is the difference is, is the force. Like who is our master? Like he brings it down to who, who is our master over us. That draw of sin as master has been severed. That, that is over with. And yes, we can still do it, but it's no longer because we have to. And I really want us to understand that this morning, that we no longer have to sin. People who aren't born again don't have a choice. They have to sin. They are slaves to the master of sin. And so in verse 12, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And so here we go again. Like, who's reigning in your body? Like, who's in charge of your body? 
Like sin isn't in charge anymore. You can make it still in charge. You can still commit to it and serve it, but you don't have to anymore. See, now it's an issue of the flesh, right? Our desire to sin is not spiritual anymore. And it says that very clear here. Yes, you will sin, but it is not a spiritual draw anymore. You do not have to do it anymore. And so who are you going to serve? Sin, which leads to death, or, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? So why would we who have a choice continue to go down sinning and death? The chains of slavery to sin were smashed, right? Those chains were smashed. I want you to know that this morning. The hammer of God set you free from those chains to your sin. And that hammer was the cross, right? The cross broke those chains you had to sin, to slavery, to sin. So now you have the, the ability to choose obedience, to choose life, and to choose righteousness. You can now make those choices, church. And so what we see in the second way to walk in the newness of life is to flee sin in the flesh. Flee sin in the flesh, as it says in verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And so there's two things here, right? And the first is, don't, pre don't present your members as instruments to sin. And so Paul's argument is, the way not to sin is don't put yourselves in situations where you're going to sin. And it sounds um, simple. Like, if you don't want to sin, don't, don't go near sin. You know, and, and it, you might even say, like, Paul, that's your best advice. The best way to not do it is to not do it. You know, but, but it makes perfect sense in light of this whole argument he's made so far. If our sin nature has been killed, right, so our spiritual slavery to sin nature has been killed, then the way we take on sin in the flesh is in the flesh, right? Because that's now where the battle is. And so we have here this word members. It's kind of a weird word, members. And it just means your body. I think that's the easiest way to, to think about it. And so members is, you know, um, your fingers, your feet. Don't let your feet take you to sin. Don't let your hands grab hold of sin. Uh, your eyes, like what are you looking at? And so you take care of your members. If you keep your physical members from sin, then you won't sin because that is in the flesh. That, that is physical. Because the closer you are to something in the flesh, the more enticing it becomes. Right? Again, just very practical, <laughs> you know. And so, um, as many of you know, I've talked about, you know, I struggle with eating sometimes. You know, I, I've struggled with that. My weight goes up and down. And, some, you know, and I've jokingly said it's gluttony, you know, but sometimes I can't stop eating. And so, the best way for me to handle that is to not buy those foods that I know that I can't stop eating. You know, so whether it's Randy's Donuts or chips, whatever it might be, the best way for me not to eat it is to not get it in front of me, right? Because like my flesh is weak. Um, for example, even, you know, 11 and a half months out of the year, <clears throat> I, I don't crave candy. I've never been in my house and thought, man, I really want a Snickers. I really want some M&Ms. I don't, I don't need candy. And yet around Halloween every year, you know, the week before and the week after, there's candy. I don't know about your guys' house, but there's candy all around me. Somehow it just, you know, becomes this treasure, right? Mounds of candy around me. 
And I could ignore it a little bit, but then I eat a piece, and then all of a sudden I have a mound of wrappers. Right? And, and it's, I don't even, like I said, I don't like candy, but it's within my reach. And so, and that's Paul's argument here is the flesh is weak. And yes, I could tell you, my flesh is weak. And so we have to do the best we can to, to not present ourselves to sin anymore. Now this year, um, as I've told some of you, I've, I've been able to, to take this under control. I've lost some weight recently um, by using different resources online. And I mentioned that um, just to press in and encourage you to use whatever resources are necessary to help you in your walk. So like I said, you know, about shopping, you know, shopping the right way is a great way to determine. You determine what comes in your house, right? That's a decision you make way ahead of time. Um, but if you have a problem looking up stuff online, you know, I, and I know you don't usually start there, no, you, but you go online on your phone, on your computer, Something happens and you just start going down one rabbit hole and you end up somewhere where you shouldn't be, looking at stuff that you shouldn't. There are resources for that now. Like we can hold each other accountable to that. There's stuff that we can download, right? There's so many ways to hold each other accountable so that we don't even go down that route. And that's what Paul's arguing for here in the flesh, right? It's like in your flesh, do everything you can in your flesh to, to not go down this route. The same with addiction. Any addiction you have, there's counselors out there, there's programs out there, there's books out there. You have the resource of each other, um, holding each other accountable, praying with each other. Like, I want to do that with you. And I, I think we'd be encouraged to know that everybody would be willing to help somebody else in here to deal with a specific issue in your life. The problem is, um, even in my you know, upbringing as a Christian, it, it was considered weak to go to a counselor. Right? It was considered weak because you, you must be spiritually um, immature or not spiritually strong enough. Why do you have to go to a counselor? Why do you have to put this stuff on your computer? If, if you had the Holy Spirit in you, then you would be able to overcome that. You just need to grit your teeth and do it. And yet you could see in Paul's argument where Paul's like, I know what I want to do and I don't do it. And, that, and that's like Paul, the rock star, right? Theologian speaking. And so he's saying in the flesh, like don't present your members and so... Please use resources, any resources you can. Believe me, God is all about, you know, he's gifted people, right? He's gifted people in your life who know how to handle that. Let them minister to you. Be blessed by their ministry to you in that area. Now, along with that, the latter part of this verse points out probably the best and most proactive way to fight sin in your life, which is to present your members to God, right? Present your members to God for use. How are you going to sin if you're in the presence of God? Like, like I, in church this morning, you're more, you're more likely to not sin this morning in church. Why? Because you're around a bunch of Christians, right? Because we're worshiping. And so the best way to not sin is to have your life consumed, right? With prayer and with singing songs and meeting with people from church. And if you're doing that, right? If you're spending time with God, your desire to sin in the flesh begins to be shadowed by that. God wants you to be an instrument of righteousness. And so don't present your minds and your bodies to sin, right? Present them to God. Let God use you to be instruments of righteousness. And now if you have been baptized, you now have a choice, right? You can present yourself to service, right, for service. You can do that. 
But then it gets back to the question, you know, a great question is, well, now you have this war. Right? You have this spirituality going on that you know you want to serve God and you want to present yourself for service to become an instrument of righteousness. It sounds awesome, but your flesh is at war with you. And so it's not a spiritual battle with sin. It's a flesh battle with sin. And so the last way um, to live in the newness of life is to feed the Spirit. Now, we read just before and after this passage um, in Romans 12, 2, to start, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, which I think I mentioned last week. I, I, it's like in every other sermon I preach. Um, it's like my favorite verse. Because it shows you why all this seemingly crazy theological information is practical, right? This isn't just so you could pass a theology test. But theology is practical in your lives. Like once you figure out the theology of it, it you, your life should be easier. It should be easier to become more holy and righteous. But you need to understand how to change, right? You need to understand, like in your mind, how to change. And so it's interesting here, you know, you have like the spiritual war versus our flesh. And then Paul ends his argument with like, okay, well, you know what the tipping point is? It's your mind, right? It's your mind. And we see this. In uh, chapter 8 of Rome, all this is in Romans, and Paul, the same argument from Paul. Chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, and to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And so Paul's saying, you are what you think. Like You are what you think, man. Don't don't be confused about this. You need to make a decision, right? It comes back to, to choosing. And, so, and, and all this goes back to baptism, right? And so all this appeal is back, to, is back to baptism. You now have a choice. In your mind, you have a choice. You could feed sin or, or you could feed your spirit. That's a decision we all make. So not only was our sinful nature destroyed and killed, you know, but at that same time, when we are born again, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so it, it's like a two-for-one switch in this war, right? We are, no, we are no longer slaves to sin spiritually, so we have a choice, and now we have the Holy Spirit come inside of us, and so instead of being slaves to sin, we could be slaves to God, right? So this complete switch takes place. But that doesn't mean that we always follow our spirit. You have to discipline yourself, right? Ingest, digest, meditate upon, read, pray, listen to sermons, sing songs, spend time with each other. And you can have that life of peace. You know, we talked about last week, the ministry to self, right? That's why I'm going to keep telling you, like preach to yourself, minister to yourself. You know what you need. That is your first ministry is minister to yourself. You need to know how all this stuff works. You need to feed your spirit. If you don't feed your spirit, what happens? You start obeying the flesh. It's not like if, it might happen. You feed your spirit, clear as day, one or the other. You feed your spirit or you, or you feed your sin in your life. One leads to death, one leads to peace and holiness. So if you've been baptized, you have a new identity, you died, you are alive and you are free. All by the power of the Holy Spirit and our new birth in Christ. So as you go out into your week this week, I want to leave you with Romans 6, 11. 
which I recommend you memorize and live by. This, this, sum, this sums up this entire argument of Paul's. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen? All right, let me pray for us, church. <clears throat> we hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.